0: Turn around and say hello to somebody tonight. Glad to see everyone out. Glad to see our folks tuning in. We get comments from time to time. Uh, Some of these comments come from far and near. Brother Tyler shared some with me. We have people tuning in. And this week has been a great week. It started off with our 58th Central Baptist Church anniversary on Sunday. We had a great crowd in attendance. We had good response we had decisions for the Lord and we give God all the credit and all the praise. Wonderful time. Praise the Lord. And then I'm not speaking as a partisan, but in terms of right and wrong and good and evil and the Word of God as we understand it, my, the Lord certainly got the victory this week. Uh, across the country in so many of the political races, uh, there, were, there were certain uh, spiritual issues on the ballot and uh, at stake and represented by the people who were uh, running for office and praise the Lord. So I'm just speaking in terms of principles tonight. In Virginia, we had one of those odd year elections, not just an off year, but an odd year. You know, an off year would be like every two years. You have four years for presidents and six years for, for senators, but you also have on the state level, what is called an odd year election. And it's the, uh, the year right after the presidential election and people were watching what was going on. And I just want to congratulate the winners and uh, try to console the losers uh, the best that I can because, you know, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you. Yeah, come on now, give me an amen. Amen. That's it. And God is good all the time. And I praise the Lord for a system, uh, a, a nation of laws that can experience relatively peaceful transitions from one administration to the next. I'm praying that that will be the case, that it will be, I'm hopeful for that. And the Bible says we're to pray all, for, pray for all who are in authority. So we pray for our president all the way down to, you know, whoever gets elected, dog catcher. We pray for all of them, don't we? Because we need the Lord. We keep on needing the Lord. Amen. I hope that in the back you'll pick up a copy of Acts and Facts for the month of November. Wonderful, wonderful uh, articles in here. And once again, taking a crack at that, that false assumption by some that there is evolutionary connection between chimpanzees and, uh, and human beings. Now, I think, uh, you know, all kidding aside about politics, I, I, I believe we just need to look at the scientific facts And we know that we are created in the image of God and chimpanzees are not. But uh, you might have a pet one at home or like chimpanzees. It has nothing to do with that. We're not connected genetically to chimpanzees or any other uh, creatures in the animal kingdom. We are connected to God. He created us in His image. We need to know where we came from in order to understand where we're going. Now, I'm speaking about some things that are coming up, and our next big, big event is going to be our first potluck, our part pot grace gathering on Saturday, November the 20th at 4 p.m. And we have passed out sign-up boards, but we have now assigned out uh, the jobs of lining up uh, everybody, bringing stuff so that we can have a great meal, uh, whether it is uh, meat platters or side dishes or salads or desserts. And we want to get that done. So uh, gentlemen, ladies, if you would help us out, with that as we get ready for the 20th of November. And this coming Saturday at 9 o'clock, we're cleaning up again, 10 o'clock visitation till noon. And then we're getting ready for Sunday to observe Veterans Day. Veterans Day is actually the following Thursday, but the Sunday prior is this coming Sunday, Sunday the 7th. And we'll have a couple of tables out there in the foyer and we want you to bring your pictures and memorabilia of your time in the military. We want to honor our military veterans, so please help us with that. And uh, at 5 o'clock, we will have a leadership live stream meeting right here in the auditorium. I want you to be here or catch the live stream, all of our leaders, as we talk about uh, our time of transitioning into 2022. And hopefully early on in 2022, we can start doing more things than we've been doing. We need participation. We need people to come back. We need leaders to step up. Until that time, we will do what we can do, and we will do the best we can for the glory of God. Amen? And we will see souls saved, and we will see Christ glorified in all of that. Now, next uh, uh, Saturday, let's see, see, the Saturday following that, we will broadcast at 3 o'clock our Bible Institute, uh, Session 1603. And we're going to see... the, um, the great transition from uh, uh, Isaac's life to Jacob's life and how Jacob's adventure uh, led by the Lord uh, has so many applications to our life as well. So praise the Lord. Don't miss any of those things that are coming up in the days ahead. Thank you for your faithful giving to our special offering, Give a Christmas Gift to Jesus, now through the 31st of December. Please Don't miss out on the opportunity to be part of what God is doing. We've got uh, the giving record for the last month up on the board in the back. You'll see once again the giving to missions. You were very faithful and praise the Lord for that. Speaking of missions, we do want to pray for Jerry Daniels over there in Africa uh, with so many that he has had the blessing of being involved with. Pastor Kalasinga. Uh, was called home suddenly. In fact, that occurred today. Uh, About uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, we received uh, from uh, Jerry Daniels this very sad uh, account of a tragic accident. Brother Kalasinga uh, was a 75-year-old church planter uh, who has uh, started 30 churches in 40 years of ministry. And he trained his son, Kevin, a fine young man with wife and four children, to take over. And they were at the funeral procession for Brother Kalasinga's brother-in-law when a car went out of control and struck him and killed him suddenly today. And what a terrible, terrible thing to happen. And you say, why did that happen? I don't know why that happened. But I know that as I read between the lines, the last a prayer letter we received back in July tells about Kevin being trained to take over for his father. God makes no mistakes. There are no accidents with God. Even something as tragic as an automobile accident that claims the life of a longtime church planner. how sad this is, but to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. We have grasp of Bible truth. For such times as this. When we are disappointed, when we are going through difficulties, when when we are even almost distracted by the events of life. Uh, you know, the, the joy, the happiness of good things, and then the sadness of, of tragic things happening, uh, and they happen in rapid succession. One of the hardest things to be in this world is a servant of the Lord, because you have the good and the bad coming so rapidly. On the the, the the just the just the moment thereafter, boom, something like that happens. And I got to say that God is good. God is good. We were we were uh, at uh, lunch. We were eating, and uh, we know in some restaurants we know just about, if not all, of the servers, and the servers know who we are. They know that we are the servants of the Lord, we, we uh, have this church, we have this ministry, we have the tract outreach. And I uh, uh, went by one of the servers and I, I gave him a fist bump and I said, God is good. And he said, all the time. That is often said, it's familiar, but it is so true. God is good all the time. And the reason we can actually say that, you know, you got the, folks that are rejoicing and the folks that are mourning and you've got it going on all at once. We can say it because we've got the book. We've got it right here. We've got the book. Calvin Coolidge was vice president of the United States and he was overseeing uh, the deliberations of the United States Senate. Uh, And at this particular time, one of the senators got angry with another senator and told him where to go said you can go straight to you know said that and the senator who had just been cussed out appealed to the vice president of the united states who's the president of the of the senate assembling and said what about that and vice president coolidge was looking through two books he had the the rule book of the senate and he had his bible and he said you know i've just read both books and Both of them say you don't have to go. And I like that because my Bible says that you don't have to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. You can take Jesus Christ as your Savior and you can claim that. And when you've been told where to go, you say, I know I'm not going, but you're going unless you get saved. You're going unless you get saved. Everybody doesn't receive Christ as Savior. I've got a promise that He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I've got a promise that nothing will will take me out of my Father's hand. I am in my Father's hand. I'm in the firm embrace of God's grace. I I am in the grasp of God's almighty hand, and nothing can snatch me out of God's hand. Praise the Lord for that. We're looking tonight in the book of Colossians for the first time about standing on the promises as we have sung. Kelso's Car- Kelso Carter's great song that we sing, and uh, I, love it. I love the way Baptists sing. They sing with confidence. They sing with joy. I'm standing on the promises. We need to stand on the promises. The book of Colossians is very much up to date because all around us we see great confusion. We see the cults. We see the cults, and the cults frequently will know their error better than we know the truth. We need to get to know our truth better than they know their error. And you've got the new age. You've got that. And you've got the shallow churches that are just about getting big crowds together and they don't really care what you believe. And some of these non-denominational churches. Now let me just say right now, uh, non-denominational is a designation that can cover from here to here. Extremes. There are non-denominationalists that are Baptist in everything except name. I wish they were in name also. But they're just like Baptists. And then there, you can come all the way across the spectrum, and there are non-denominationalists that are just like some cult out of hell. And everything in between, every shade. So you say, how important are denominations? Well, take out your wallet. And just let me, let me choose the largest bill and you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why the largest bill? Well, you see, denominations don't matter, right? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. There's a big difference between a Ben Franklin and a George Washington when it comes to money, isn't there? That's right. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you haven't looked at who's on the money, but uh, it's, not, uh, it's not George Bush one or two, and it's not uh, Bill Clinton, and it's not Barack Obama, they don't have their, and it's not Donald Trump, they don't have their faces on the money yet. But um, but we've got, we have got an identity. Baptist means something. It isn't just tradition. The Baptist distinctives are Bible distinctives. We believe the Bible. A lot of confusion right now. And, um, and so therefore, as we look at the book of Colossians tonight, we understand how easy it is for people to get confused when we think about the church at Colossae. I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. Colossae was a small city in Asia Minor, and uh, it, was, it was on the uh, uh, a branch of the Meander River, and it was only a few miles from Hierapolis, and a few miles from Laodicea. Those three cities, well-developed cities, uh, were close by one another. Uh, Church at Ephesus was associated with them. And so Colossae was a small city, and Paul had never been there that we know of, but he had met some people from there, and that's it. I haven't been to every city and town in America, but I've met folks from just about everywhere. And uh, you, you draw conclusions by your relationship with people that you meet. All right, the book of Colossians. Here we go. And it starts off with Paul signing his name. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle means uh, one that's sent with authority. One that accompanied Uh, with Jesus Christ from about the beginning of his ministry, the baptism of John, until uh, they were uh, uh, witnesses of his resurrection. And Paul was one born out of due season, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Now the saints are saved ones, sanctified ones. A saved one is one that has been made righteous by the finished work of Jesus Christ. A saint isn't one that's been dead for 400 years and then canonized by some religious organization. You're a saint and I'm a saint. Uh, if you've received Christ as Savior, you're either a saint or you ain't. All right. And the faithful brethren. Faithful has to do with uh, the continuance of, that we have because of the grace of God. We have it because God has done a work of grace in us. That's the only way we can be faithful and continue on. And the brethren, it's the word adelphoi, means from the same source, from the same uh, source, the same beginning, in Christ, uh, is a phrase that we see over and over again. We see it in Ephesians. In Christ is that relationship that we have uh, through Christ uh, the grace of God in Christ uh, with the Lord, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Be unto you and peace. Peace is that harmony. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the, it's the uh, harmony. It's the togetherness that we have in spite of the storms that are blowing and beating against us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that construction in the Greek uh, indicates that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are actually one, one God. One God, two persons, but one God. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. This is something that we ought to get into the habit of doing. Giving thanks for and praying always for those that we have had the privilege of knowing in this life. When you think about the, the ones whose paths we've crossed, we've had the privilege of knowing them. We ought to give thanks for them every day. We ought to pray for them. If they're still living, we ought to pray for them. Pray constantly. Pray without ceasing, the Bible teaches us. Pray without stopping. Don't stop. So pray. Have a prayer life that is continuous and, uh, and that is a list of those that you've had the privilege of knowing in the Lord. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. So, you see, Paul doesn't have a first-hand experience with them, but he's heard about them, their faith and their love. And these are two of the elements, faith, love, and hope, that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the greatest of which, of course, is charity. But we have faith. Faith is believing the promises of God, standing on the promises. Faith is standing on them and acting upon them. As we hide God's Word in our heart, then we come upon a situation in life and we we draw from what we know, from what's in the Word of God that's inside of us that we've hidden in our hearts. You've heard so many messages, you've heard so much teaching, you've read so much from the Word of God, and it's, it's welling up within you as a reservoir, as a source, and we draw from it as we face the challenges of life. We don't say, what do I do now? We go back to the Word of God. Go back to what we've been taught. Go back to what we've been preached. Go back to what we understand from our devotions. That's where we go back. That's our source. That's what we go back to. What part in your life and mine does the Word of God play? It ought to be constant. It ought to be something that we draw from constantly. Our faith and love, which we have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven... Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now that's our that's our title tonight. There it is. There it is. The word of the truth of the gospel. The word of the truth that's the speaking of. They've heard it, see, the speaking of the truth of the gospel. Now the gospel is powerful. The gospel is transformative, but it has to be spoken. It has to be spread. Now, I know that you can, you can print it and send it out. Praise the Lord for the printed word. Praise the Lord for the tract and literature ministry of our church. We support five or six different uh, efforts around the world to get the word out uh, in many languages to many different people, groups, so that they have the word of God. And we know that in many countries of the world, a tract or a piece of literature will be handled and read by 10 or 12 people on average. So if you print a million tracts, probably on average 10 or 12 million reads will occur of that literature. It will be read 10 or 12 million times. That's uh, probably not as as high in the United States, but a a gospel tract. I know a little tract like, like we pass out today again, wherever we have gone on appointments, and I was in the hospital, and I passed a bunch of them out. And a lady said, "Can I have one for my husband also?" I said, "Yes." And she said, "He's in room such and so. Will you visit him?" So I have an invitation to to visit a man just from passing, just from doing that, passing out a smiley tract, and you can have a great outreach, and God will bless your life. How many do you pass out in a day, in a week, in a month? you pass out three a day? That's a thousand a year. A thousand a year. That means it's probably going to get read by three or four thousand people. Now, three or four thousand people. How many are going to get saved? We know that on the low end, somewhere between two and five percent of the readers are going to come to God through Christ the first time they read it. On average, that's going to be now. Maybe your tracks have a higher percentage. Uh, who knows? I don't know. But I know this, that the numbers don't lie. The false witnesses of, of the JWs, they know that so many people are going to respond to their literature. They know they've got the, they've got the stats, they've got the figures down. And so have we as Bible believers. We know how many. And we've got, we've got the advantage of it being the truth, not something that's been wrested from its context or something that's been changed or altered, but rather it is the unadulterated truth of the Word of God. That gospel is powerful. And so it says in verse number 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So let's see again. They're giving, uh, Paul is giving thanks for them, praying for them. Since we heard of your faith, verse 4, love, verse 4, hope, verse 5. There it is. Faith, hope, charity. Amen. When you see it at work in the life of a brother or sister in Christ, you ought to thank God for them and you ought to tell them that. Amen. Which is coming to you as it is in all the world. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Say, in all the world, in all of the known Roman Empire by this point in time, it's about 52 to 54 A.D., And the gospel has spread the extent of the Roman Empire. So when it speaks of the world, it's the known world of the Roman Empire. That's the way they saw things through that prism. Think about that. Now I realize there are some folks in far off, fill in the blank over here, over there, that may not have received the gospel yet in their language, but we're working on it. I talked at length with Wally Beebe and his wife, Winnie Beebe, about the spread of the gospel into primitive areas. We came up with a plan. At least it was a verbal discussion. That is, they have these wind-up recording machines. And you wind them up. You don't have to have electricity. And on the power of it being wound up, you can play a message on it. So I said, how about this? A place like Papua New Guinea, where there are thousands of dialects. You get a guy out here by the coast, and you win him to Christ. And you give the gospel in English, and give him one of those wind-up, you know, players. And he goes into the bush, and he finds the first group, and it's it just happens to be his dialect. And so he gives them the gospel, and he puts... Puts everything that we've said into that dialect. And then someone from that group goes into the bush a little further and finds the next group and just happens to be able to translate and to understand and so put it in the next dialect and the next and the next and the next. How long would it take for us to put, say, a hundred or a thousand of those wind-up recording machines into those... Third world stone age villages, where from village to village each the succeeding dialect would get the gospel in their language. Now it might not be by strict translation methods, but it would be by word of mouth. It works for me. Gets them saved, gets them to go to heaven. Say, so, well, well, what about growing in grace? You can do the same thing with any passage of Scripture. Start on the coast and work inland. Start from the population center, work to the most remote area. And do that all over the world. And if you can get inside those restricted countries, and I want to be careful what we say. We don't want to call names or, or, or places. But there are restricted countries where there might be 25 or 30 languages spoken. You could do the same thing there. Just get inside. Get inside on a, on a teacher's visa or a businessman's visa. Go in there and do it. Just do it. You say, well, who ought to do it? We ought to do it. We ought to do it or pray or send or spend or do whatever has to be done to, to get it done. Preacher, do you believe that the known world today can get the gospel. I believe every generation is responsible for their generation. I believe we are responsible for the people who are alive today and going to be alive as long as we can take them the gospel. The ones that are going to be born, we're responsible for them too. And then our kids can do the same thing and our grandkids can do the same thing and our great-grandkids can do the same thing. I believe we can evangelize the entire world. I'm not saying everybody's going to get saved. I believe we can give the gospel, a clear presentation of the gospel to every human being on the planet in any given generation. And I believe that is God's perfect will. Evangelize. Evangelize. If we don't, we're going to fossilize. We're going to petrify if we don't. Amen and amen which is coming to you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. This in truth is talking about absolute truth. That which doesn't even have one millionth of one percent of one iota of untruth in it. It is absolute, total, and complete truth. Let's start with this. There is a God. He is the God of the Bible. He created everything. He sustains everything. He's in charge of everything. He's greater than all. God knows everything. God can do everything that doesn't violate what the Word of God says about Him. He can do. He can absolutely save the most lost, the most depraved sinner by His grace and for His glory. I believe God can. That's it. That's absolute truth. That's what this gospel message is all about. It's about folks getting saved because God can. And because God can, then we can. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We've just come off of a great month of missionary preaching and teaching. And we ought to put it into practice every single day. The Word of God ought to be lived out of our life every single day, every challenge, every difficulty, every discouragement, every time we're up, every time we're down, every time we succeed, every time we fail. We ought to have the Word of God on our lips and in our life. And people ought to know the Bible because they know us. Verse 7, As he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now we know where Paul found out about the Colossian Christians. He found it out from Epaphras. And if you read on, you're going to find in chapter 4, and also you're going to find elsewhere that maybe he was imprisoned for a short time with the Apostle Paul. Now you couldn't be in the same cell or in the same prison with the Apostle Paul and not get to know some things. There you have it. So the truth of the gospel, the truth of heaven versus hell, of life versus death, of vitality and second chances in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's real. What we're talking about is not just religion, it's reality. Into all the world. Wow. Think about that. Into all the world. I'm praising the Lord tonight for those who've crossed my path and made a difference. When I think about those who've made a great impact on my life, I can honestly say I saw Jesus Christ in their life. By their attitude, their words, their deeds, And there was something about them that just drew me, and I said, you know, I I want that in my life. I want that in my life. We read in the books known as these prison epistles of, of the leadership, the headship of Christ over His body. We are His body. He's the head. And we know that you can't have life without the head being attached. So there's got to be that abiding in Christ, like the... the the branches in the vine that we read about in John chapter 15. So we understand the leadership of Christ, the headship of Christ, the very life flow of Christ because He is deity. He is very God. He is the sovereign creator by whom everything was made, spoken into existence. Jesus Christ is our very life. He's the author of, of our life, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the preeminent, not just the prominent, but the preeminent one. He is before all things. He is the redeemer, the one who has personally seen to it that the bill has been paid in full. He's in charge, it's his church, it's his body, it's his place of indwelling. And when I've seen that in the life of other people, I've recognized Him. I can see Jesus in them. We should be so living that people can see Jesus and His life in us as we face our challenges. Life's tough. Life is difficult. But if it weren't challenging and difficult, then this that I'm talking about, this life principle that's in Christ, would never be tested. And we would never know that that's real. That's real. Don't complain to God about the test of the life principle of Christ in and through you. Don't gripe about it. It's so hard. You're missing the point. The problem is we are seeing things like spiritual kindergartners or preschoolers instead of in the mature way that we should, as far as we should have come and as long as we have been saved. It's not just about the immediate problem of, it hurts, it's painful, it's difficult. What is God's purpose? Is there anything about the purpose of God that's not good? God's good. Fist bump all the time, preacher. God's good all the time. Yes, He is. He's good all the time. And that life that we have in chapter 1 of Colossians is the deeper life. Not the deeper life to the exclusion of being a soul winner, but the deeper life that causes us in the most difficult depths of our experience to find Him all sufficient. Chapter 2 speaks of the higher life. Chapter 3 speaks of the inner life. Chapter 4 speaks of the Outward life. There it is. There it is. The Colossian church was similar to believers today in that it had become a hodgepodge of a lot of different things that were not pure Word of God. And you can find that in just about every assembly today find the shallowness prevalent so that people think, you know, that whatever way the wind is blowing, that must, or whatever way they are feeling the wind blowing them, that must be God revealing Himself out here instead of in and through here. The Word of God. There's a real danger in that. The church at Colossae had a problem of ascetic legalism, touch not, taste not. They had philosophical false mysticism. They had cultic, new age kinds of things, isms. And really, the Christian life is just the Christ life. It's about Jesus Christ. We don't have to get bored with the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God that we've heard for how many years and say, now I'm going to go out here and I'm going to grab this New Age thought. I'm going to grab this ascetic. I'm going to grab this old legalistic, this Jew, Judaistic and this other uh, philosophical concept and I'm going to bring it in and oh, it's going to get juicy and oh, people are going to be so excited and they're going, to, they're going to have a new way of saying things and a new way of thinking about things and a new way of seeing things and there's going to be. The same problem that they had at Colossae. So Paul writes this letter. And after reading it again and again and again to get ready for this presentation, of which tonight is the first installment, I just say, God, deliver us. God, preserve us from synthetic Christianity. Christianity. Synthetic religion that's a mixture, a buffet, a smorgasbord, pick and choose, pick and choose, pick and choose. Mystical religiosity. God help us. When we read about Adam and Eve, there was actually a man named Adam, and there was a woman created from his rib, and her name was Eve. This is not an allegory. This does not represent something else other than what it is. Jonah swallowed by the whale is not an allegory, is not something mystical that we say, oh, that's just like the. Jonah was swallowed by a creature that God created that had a canal inside of it that was shaped like Jonah. Happened. I don't want to even read after the vagaries the vague, mystical writings of people that aren't absolute truth believers. I'm an absolute truth believer. I believe that the Word of God, as it is, literally, is more reliable than anybody's mystic ideas or anybody's philosophy and if some mystic comes along and he says, oh, oh, and some person promoting him says, oh, you just got to hear brother so-and-so. You just got to hear, sometimes sister so-and-so. You just got to hear this religious, oh, you just got to hear this. Oh, it just, it just, it'll enthrall you. It'll just, it'll just, oh, it's just more than you can take in. And if it's something that's not plain, I mean plain from the Word of God, then I've got to say, all right, sir, Ma'am, I want you to show me, show me your accreditation as an apostle before I listen to you. I want you to, I want you to raise somebody from the dead. I want you to feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. I want you to, I want you to do something that will authenticate This new stuff that you're saying, because I happen to believe there is no new stuff. I happen to believe that it's all in these 66 books. And what God wants me to know is right here. And He wants me to know it, and He wants me to live it out every single day. So people say, fist bump, preacher. God's good all the time. There it is. There it is. The Gnostics. Now, they didn't come into full bloom until probably another hundred years after this, but they were already starting up. And they were the people who were saying, oh, everybody else, look at me, everybody else, you can, you, can, you can understand. Your intellect is good enough to get it up to here. But from this point on up, we're the only ones who get it, and with wide eyes. They're the only ones that get it. Did you ha- ever have somebody say, Because you're not a charismatic, you're a Baptist, you don't get it. Until you experience it, you don't get it. Well, they're modern day Gnostics. And I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And the reason I'm not is because I don't need anything more than what's between these covers right here. That's it. That's it. God has given us with His Spirit a holy disposition to grasp the truth that we must in order to be successful in facing our life's challenges. What you heard about right now, what you are feeling right now, what you're going through, in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit takes it, makes it real to you, and God's going to bring you through and you're going to be better, not bitter. I was just reading it today. Acts chapter 26. Go there quickly. Acts 26. Paul is standing before Agrippa and he's giving his testimony of how he got saved and what his calling Was to be. Here, the one who had persecuted, the one who had wreaked havoc among the new believers in Jesus Christ, verse 16 of chapter 26 of Acts. But rise and stand upon thy feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Here it is, verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is, what? In me. There's a whole lot of phoniness out there that is driven by Satan and the religious side of the flesh. And those who claim to know what's above the ceiling there, the Gnostic crowd, they know what we don't know. We can't possibly know because we don't, think like they think, so because we don't think like they think, they assume they know something we don't know that is real, but it's not real, it's not true. We've got the truth in the Word of God. Satan is busy at work. I'm talking about this ceiling above which the Gnostics, in which the Gnostics operate. That's not light. That's not advanced light. That's not this bright light. Oh, this bright light. I know something you don't... I see something you don't see. That's not bright light. That's called Satan's darkness. Darkness. The light comes from, as we saw in Psalm 119, the entrance of thy words bring light. That's it. Darkness is the realm of Satan, and he's got his own limited power. But Christ has all power, all authority. So we ought to be glad every single day. We're not messed up in those other movements, that other religious junk, and that's what it is. It's all going to go on the religious junk heap someday. And Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed. Every eye close, And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Let's know what we know, believe what we believe, and stand upon the truth. If you've never received Christ as Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God? Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal savior please take away my sins and take me to heaven when i die and if you prayed that prayer and meant it would you slip your hand up i'm going to ask you to stand with us right now we're going to